Let's pray as we come to consider this chewy passage from the Bible, this slightly tricky set of verses. Lord, speak to us now. Speak through even the challenging parts of the word that we find sometimes hard to read or hard to grasp. May your spirit shine light into our hearts and minds that we may live and serve to your glory through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, as a, a head teacher, it was my privilege on four separate occasions to accompany a group of children and adults to France. And we went to various locations, but one of the things we always did on our French visits was to organise that one evening the children would be given garlic-flavoured snails and frogs' legs to try, because they'd heard a lot about them, but most of them had never tried them. It was at this point that I always pleaded the fact that I'm a vegetarian, but I am told that neither snails or frogs' legs are particularly unpleasant. Now, I might not have actually eaten any frogs in a literal sense, but I have in my time swallowed many frogs. If you're wondering what I'm talking about, I used to have a poster in my office that had a picture of a frog on it, and it said, start the day by swallowing your frog. And that meant doing the thing that you least wanted to do first so that you could get it out of the way, and then anything else would seem like a, a real joy compared to that. And one thing that I particularly disliked, and I would always consider to be my frog of the day, was having difficult conversations with people, talking to somebody about something that they may have done wrong or that they've not done as well as they should have done. It was hard. It's not nice being the one telling the other and it's also not nice being the one who's told. I don't like being wrong. I like to be right. And I find it hard to admit it when somebody points out something that I've done wrong. Well, today's reading, as we said, is a tricky one, a chewy one. And you might wonder why I chose it. Well, I've been pursuing the book of Matthew through various services I've been leading. And this is the next chunk that's presented itself. This passage talks about the need for tricky conversations. It says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. I wonder if this is perhaps open season for us to go and tell people what we really think of them, to pick up on their every fault and their niggling habits, to finally have that chance, that opportunity to delight in telling someone what you've always really wanted to say. And Jesus goes on to describe an increasing level of intervention in the case that the sinner won't listen. We involve witnesses and ultimately the whole church. Interesting, it's one of the only very few times that Jesus uses the word church or assembly in his teaching. It's interesting, isn't it, that the hope is that the person listens, takes on what you're saying. It doesn't expect at this stage anyway that they immediately prostrate themselves on the floor before you, wailing and begging forgiveness. 
we can forgive others even when they seem unrepentant or indeed unaware that they've even offended us. If the person refuses to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. People who were notoriously frowned upon and excluded from society. Does this mean that we can use this as an excuse to push people out or to treat them as outsiders? I think we need to chew this a bit more, work on it and work it round to see what it teaches us. Because where's the good news in this? There's always the danger that we're warned about at college of quoting verses out of context or proof texting, using a little snippet of scripture to try and demonstrate that we're right, but not taking into account the context it's set in. And if we read this passage in isolation, we might get a false picture. We might think some of the things we've thought already. But this comes in a flow of teaching. I don't know if you remember the cartoon series Scooby-Doo and Shaggy and Scooby-Doo used to make sandwiches and they would become increasingly enormous with some more and more layers were added. And this passage in Matthew's Gospel is a collection of teachings of Jesus. Lots of different sayings and teachings, each of its own value and in its own right, but brought together and layered up by the gospel writer because they're strongly linked and each informs the others. We learn about receiving the kingdom of God as a child with that innocence and faith, like a child who launches themselves into the parent's arms halfway down the stairs and doesn't doubt for one moment that the parent will catch them. We learn about being the cause of stumbling for one of these little, pe these little um, ones in the church and the consequences of that on our lives. We learn about the lost sheep. We learn about dealing with sin in the church. That's what we're thinking about today. And that's followed by the parable of the unmerciful servant who refuses to forgive even in the face of his own forgiveness. It's all part of the bigger picture of Jesus talking about the kingdom and the church. And the community that he describes is not one of individuals going about their lives and business in isolation or independence. Even when they're not together, and we've had to learn a lot about not being together over recent months, learning about what it means to be church and to be united and to be one, even though we can't physically gather. This community of which Jesus speaks is a countercultural body of parts under the headship of Christ. Bishop Leslie Newbegin, you may well have heard of him. He's slightly unusual because he's a, he was a United Reformed Church minister, although he was also a bishop. And he said, if you want to know if God is real, then all you should need to do is look to the community of his people the church, to see what a difference life and relationship with God makes in this life and in this world. The church should be the proof of the truth of God and of the gospel. That's exciting and that's a challenge. We can deliver, we can live the gospel in everything we do and say together. So in this case, 
the going and telling somebody of their sin is not self-motivated or vindictive, telling someone what we really think, but it's an act of mutual discipleship and discipling. It's in the context of a loving relationship, a desire to support one another on the journey of faith. And we should expect both to give and receive in, in grace such guidance. It comes straight after the parable of the lost sheep. So if we think of the action and the motivation of the shepherd in that parable setting, Let's see how that impacts on how we interpret this passage. Sometimes that passage about the lost sheep can be read as a story of salvation of the outsider. But this is a sheep who's wandered from the flock. The motivation is the shepherd's love and desire for the safety and well-being of the sheep. And that's the motivation that should cause us to go and speak to our fellow Christians regarding sin. We must also have the grace to accept this type of guidance from others so that it never need reach the point of it being a whole church issue. It's not an excuse to allow people to get away with murder and we have to separate forgiveness and justice, although they often go hand in hand. We've learned painfully the problems when serious issues are at stake. This is about truth and the word. It's about those things that put up barriers and prevent community and relationship in the body of Christ. It's about supporting and encouraging one another on the way. Okay, let's hope that some of this chewing we're doing on this passage is paying off. But what about the situation where the person refuses to listen even to the church? The passage, the word Jesus says is treat them like a tax collector or as one outside the people of God. That's a painful thought. They're not quite so frequently seen now and they're not quite so popular, but there wasn't many years ago where people were wearing those woven bracelets on their wrists, which had letters such as frog fully rely on god or push pray until something happens and perhaps the most well known was wwjd what would jesus do and i think in this situation as we're thinking about people becoming like tax collectors and outsiders of the people of god we should think what would jesus do how did jesus relate to the shunned and the outsider he loved and reached out to them time and time again. Even when they refused to hear his word, he didn't stop. This isn't an excuse to cut people off, but rather to continue to pray for them, to hold them in love before God and never to give up hope. Following this passage, we find, as I mentioned earlier, the parable of the unmerciful servant and Jesus was teaching on the need for forgiveness, not just as the law prescribed seven times, but 70 times seven. I believe that's 490. This puts that teaching in a different light because we're called to forgive over and over again. In fact, to the point that we've done it so many times that we lose count. We forbear others' faults 
that we might bring glory to God. Now this slice of the teaching sandwich from Matthew 18 isn't quite done yet. We've still got a couple more tasty layers to go. Two further sayings which Matthew has drawn together here. Verses 18 and 19 point us to the importance of the community of the church. There's the question of agreement and the presence of Christ. When we pray in agreement, God responds. And that wonderfully familiar phrase, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. That's what the Greek literally means, in the midst, in the middle, at the centre. Well, we often use that statement when we're not um, feeling too brilliant because not many people have turned up for the service. Perhaps we sometimes use it as a slightly defeatist or self-comforting sort of phrase, especially if you happen to be the published preacher and there's that worrying thought that nobody came because they heard you were coming. But no, it's a powerful reminder that the gathering of the body, the unity of the people is important, no matter how few there may be. We're joined in Christ as part of the body of which he is the head. We can't be joined to Christ in any other way. So the value of being united and together discerning the will of God by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might indeed pray in agreement for God's purposes and his will is made all the more important. And remember at the heart of this community Jesus is there. He's in the midst. He's the center, the focus and the purpose. He's the living word and the way to the Father. So today's delightful good news is that we are forgiven in Christ and we are here for one another as a community together to live the reality of the good news, to support and encourage one another, to correct one another to learn to love as the Father loves, always seeking the will of God and praying with that at the very heart of our prayer. Let's place Jesus at the centre of everything, every day, in every moment, and so give thanks and glory to God. Amen. <laughs>